welcome to the very first episode of the Listen Here podcast. This is a communication-based podcast where we pick the brains of people who listen for a living. Our guest this week is Louise. Louise has worked in the insurance industry for 10 years and is currently working in fraud investigation, which is a fascinating field when we're talking about listening. Uh, She's also studied personal training, competes in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and is currently studying a Bachelor of Primary Education online. So there was a lot to talk about. Um, And we touch on all of these aspects um, of Louise's life and gain some really interesting insights along the way around the similarities and differences in listening in all those different environments. Um, We spoke about the importance of having a clear mind, organizing yourself and your processes to be able to give your full attention to people when they need it, how we can lose control over how we listen when we're tired and stressed, that you need to be vulnerable to build relationships, the power of nonverbal cues, and how to avoid listening to negative self-talk. This is a really great chat. Um, I'm excited to be kicking off with this one and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Listen Here podcast. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, I've really been looking forward to talking to you because you've got so many different interesting points of view to explore around the theme of listening. Um, But I thought we'd start with your current position that you're in at the moment, um, which is kind of interesting in itself that you've been there for 10 years. People of our generation don't tend to hang out at places for that long, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Um, so yeah, maybe if you could just start with a little bit of your, your story of what you're doing now. Yeah, okay. Would be great. Um, so I started uh, when I was 18 at uh, the company I'm at now. Um, I, when I applied for the job, I had been on Centrelink for about five months mm-hmm. and I was a, just out of school and living at home and applied for about 12 different jobs at once for my Centrelink payment. Yeah. And I got a call back from one um, and I said, I really, really wouldn't like to do anything to do with, you know, data entry um, because it's fairly monotonous and I'd like to do something a little bit more interesting. And they were like, ah, you know, this is part data entry, right? And I was like, ah, yeah, yep. I I mean, I'm sure I can, I'm sure I can make it work and, and you know, that'll be fine. You know, (laughs) completely put my foot in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, so we got the job. It was um, lodging claims um, yeah. for a fairly large insurance company. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed in that role for two years and almost lost it because it was so monotonous and like lodging probably 40 claims a day um, oh, wow. of accidents and home insurance claims and that sort of stuff. So, so what does that involve, the process of lodging claims? Is that talking to yeah. customers? Yeah, so they call in um, and it's a lot of scripting. So um, I, we can lodge a claim for you now. It's going to take about 10 minutes. So go through some questions and like just uh-huh. and every single just... call is the same intro. Gotcha. Um, and then it's listening to what they, um, what's happened to them. Um, and it's usually something like I've had an accident or my house has sprung a leak and the whole house is flooded, like really dramatic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And you really, as a customer service rep, you have to show um, empathy and interest and that sort of stuff um, mm. as part of lodging the claim. Um, but also have to do it, you know, 40 to 60 times a day. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. must be really hard. Yeah. And how... How do you think it was for the customer hearing that sort of scripted talk when you're trying to balance that? I mean, that must be really hard trying to balance that scripted 
stuff that you have to do yeah which after showing you know genuine empathy and yeah. care for someone particularly if you're doing it 50 times a day or whatever definitely and the program that we were using had it listed had it, had it written there for us to read from and it was just awful like once you get past your first few months you can just ad-lib it as long as you have this, okay. the right points within the scripting then it's okay yeah um although there are some um managers in the industry who see it as you, know, you have to read a word for word and if yeah. you don't read it word for word, I'm going to coach you on reading it word for word, which is not particularly, I don't, I don't think that's the right, for a, for a customer's perspective, as long as the right points are made, like telling them how long it's going to take, telling them what the implications are, um, telling them what's going to happen next, then I don't see why scripting is needed. And I mm. tended to veer away from it wherever possible and make arguments against having to, to read scripting, which is, wasn't very popular at the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's interesting. And that was, uh, 10, 11 years ago, I started in 2006. So, you know, yeah. the industry's changed a fair bit since then. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's gone, it's gone both ways in, in different areas, but yeah. And did you notice when you sort of started to feel more comfortable and you thought that you could ad lib a little bit more as long as you got those main points across, was there a difference in terms of how that was received by the people yeah. you were talking to? Totally. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I was getting um, really high customer service scores in my role. Um, but I wasn't getting very high compliance scores, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is not, not the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it meant that I got a lot of customer compliments and, um, and you know, could think outside the square a little bit more um, easily. And that's what set me up to do the other roles that I've done um, since then. Yeah. Um, and when I started to do quality listening, so listening to other um, calls from other people, I've noticed the difference between people who were uncomfortable ad-living and people who were comfortable ad-living. I could hear mm. it in the customer interactions. You built a relationship on one side and on the other side, it was just the transaction. Yeah. yeah. So that's an interesting thing. So listening became part of your role when you became a manager. Yeah. Quality listening, yeah. did you say? Yeah. And so what, did you have a particular formula that you followed when you were listening into other people's calls? Yeah. Um, and the program that we used to um, grade people is fairly step-by-step. -step. So you review the introduction, you review um, the information that they give, whether it's accurate or not. Then you review the general processes, were they done correctly? Um, and when I started, it was very much like, um, very process driven. So did they tick this box? Did they tick this box? Did they tick this box? Then there was a massive overhaul around, did you service the customer? Did, was mm. the customer happy? How was the customer at the end of the interaction? You know, so there was a big shift towards making sure that the customers were satisfied with the interaction. And that was more, um, giving whoever you were listening to feedback on their actual interaction and relationship building rather than the compliance side of things. Mm, so that wasn't in there to begin with? No, not heavily. It was yeah. very much like, did you say this correctly? Did you say this correctly? Did you say this correctly? Interesting. And so mm. then when they started moving more towards that client-focused stuff in the um, the listening, whatever you call it, yep. thing, <laughs> the points that you had to do, yep. um, is that also when you think they might have eased up a little bit on the compliance stuff around scripting and ad-libbing? Yeah, and it, it also um, changed in the departments that I went through. So the first department uh -huh. I was in was very much data entry. You had to fill in the boxes with the information about what happened on the claim and you had to give them certain information so that the claims team could then take on with the next step. Um, so that area did change um, over time and it's changed back slightly in some ways, but the other areas in the claims teams are a lot more focused on the customer experience side of things and that shifted much more heavily um, yeah. over time, yeah. Yeah. 
it's an interesting balance because while obviously relationships are number, well, I think they're number one in those yeah. sort of interactions. You'd obviously have to also be really, really careful that um, you're recording everything correctly and that you know, in a in that sort of a world around insurance and stuff, that mm. you have to make sure you've got the word, you know, terminology correct and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of regulation around the insurance industry. There's a lot of different acts and a lot of different um, codes of practice that we need to adhere to, and yeah. that's at every step of the claim, from lodgement to processing to settlement to investigation. Like everything is very heavily regulated, and you have to make sure you do everything correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst also supporting whoever you're speaking to through, you know, potentially one of the worst times of their life. Yeah. And like being their life source a lot of the time. Like if someone's had their whole house burned down and you're the person who's meant to be, you know, setting them up, but you also you have to stick within your company's processes and within the insurance industry guidelines. It's very hard to balance sometimes. So it's mm. very important to make sure that you spent the time to listen to them. Um, and show them that you're listening um, through things like uh, paraphrasing. So just to confirm what you've said, this is what I understand is happening. Um, And also just like actively showing that you're engaged in the conversation, making sure that you're not silent throughout it, making sure that you don't interrupt them, making sure that you um, acknowledge what they've said when they finish speaking before you move on to another topic, that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure, Um, all that active listening stuff. Yeah, so without that, it really, like... 90% 90% of the time when we got complaints, it was because active listening wasn't done. Yeah, yeah. wow. In the claims sort of area anyway. And I guess there'd be some within that, I think it's part of that active listening stuff as well, listening for non-verbal cues around if someone's upset or angry yeah. or getting frustrated and then trying to respond appropriately yeah. to calm them down or that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot to think about. And also making sure you remain calm. Oh, totally, <laughs> absolutely, because you're a human of the other yeah, exactly. phone line as yeah. well with your own And it's, it's hard. Like, and... Sometimes customers, everybody in the world, if you're in a stressful situation, sometimes you lash out or you say something that you wouldn't normally say or you get angry and your anger like gives off to other people. Um, and it happens over the phone just as regularly. Mm. Um, so if a customer's upset about something that's outside of your control you feel like you shouldn't be yelled at because it's not your fault. Yeah. But you are whoever you're speaking on behalf of, like whatever company you work for. So, it's, right. you know, you, you need to respond as if it was your problem and acknowledge that they've been put in a hard situation and then, you know, say, look, we're in the situation we're in. We can't do anything about that now. Let's see what we can do to try to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. And do people generally respond pretty well to that kind of thing do you yeah think? yeah a lot of the time I mean yeah. you've got to make sure that your tone of voice isn't um, raised or stressed or anything like that and I've, I've actually said to customers look do you mind if I if we end the conversation for the moment and I'll call you back in half an hour oh that's smart because I was stressed out yeah. <laughs> and like unable to think on my feet and and be able to respond you know with proper solutions because I was so um, anxious yeah and the customer was almost in tears and it was nothing either of us had done. It was just the situation that had happened. So I said, look, I really want to help you. I'm going to go away and see what I can do. I'll call you back in half an hour. And then came back and they were like, I'm very sorry that I, that I lost my marbles on yeah. the phone. Like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely understandable. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's nice. And that's sort of being real 
real human to real human like yeah okay we're both getting a little bit flustered right yeah. now let's just hang up for a moment yeah. and come back yeah. because your tone um would be so important in terms of how they hear you like how they perceive what you're saying yeah even in saying that like oh look i'll call you back in half an hour it's very different to yeah I just I understand you and look, can I just call you back in half an hour? I just need to you know look into something for you and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. And it um, that oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> that's all right. Um, oh, because on the phone, um, and that's been my whole um, career essentially. Like I started out as a telemarketer um, when I was seventeen and, a yeah. bit and hated it, hated every second of it. But it was over the phone, um, and the, my entire job. Um, now has been over the phone and you don't have body language yeah like there's been studies that show a giant amount of our communication is body language and if you don't have that to go on your side or facial expressions or anything like that then it's just trying to voice really the mm. so so you must be really kind of tuned into that now yeah. I would imagine yeah you gotta be you have to be yeah. you know, to be successful in, in that sort of industry and I hear it all the time across the floor um, you know, when people start to get, you can hear it immediately, people start to get frustrated or people are not interested or people don't believe what the customer's saying. <laughs> so you can hear, you can hear it in their voice and the customers can hear the same thing. Do you think people are more likely to get, um, to get frustrated or to sort of push things a little bit further than they might in person over the phone? You know, if they don't have to look someone in the eye. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, we still have customers that go into branches to discuss um, their claim, which is not, I mean, branch staff can't do anything about anything to do with claims. They end up getting claims on the phone and, and speaking to them from there. Yeah. Um, but it's the same as um, the issue, the phenomenon now with internet bullying. Like, people mm. are so much more ready to become aggressive and abusive because there's no one... They, they can't see a victim. The victim's not real because it's just words on a screen. It's the same yeah. as on the phone. If it's just a voice, it's not as... It's more than the internet, but it's not as much as standing in front of someone. Person. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, I also worked at a call centre when I was younger. Isn't it just amazing? <laughs> it, like, scarred me for life. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I honestly, I still have a fear of answering the phone mm. to this day. And even like calling to order pizza and stuff, I have this fear of the phone and I think it was from that job. Yeah. It was, so I have utmost admiration for you for sticking through it and learning about that stuff and well, how to communicate with people rather than just going, this is fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm out here. laughs> I almost quit. I almost quit. Yeah. I, had, I did two years in that, that lodgements area um, and the shift that I was doing was late, like I worked until eight at nine. I was in the city and I worked, lived in um, like the eastern suburbs. So getting the train late at night during the week and like sleeping in the morning and, you know, having that later lifestyle yeah. um, was draining. Even though I was 18, it sort of suited me at the time. It didn't really help me with my professional yeah, <laughs> <attitude. surely. laughs> Um And yeah, so I did that shift for about a year. Um, and then I was getting really, really, really bored. And I started to be given extra things to do. Like I was the uh, chairperson of the the staff committee or whatever it was called um and then I was a fire warden and then I was a first aider and just to get my brain to do other things yeah to stick it out because I knew that the company I worked for was a good company and and I had lots of other opportunities in other departments um I ended up going part-time <laughs> then I did a compressed working week because I just couldn't do it it was yeah. killing me and then I got another role so I got out of that department because it nice. was just not that the department was necessarily broken but it was just 
like the repetition of lodging claims all day. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, I was lodging probably five different brands and two different portfolios um, and I was still getting bored. Whereas now it's usually do one portfolio and, you know, only a couple of brands. So yeah. I don't know how people do it these days. <laughs> yeah. Do you think people, it's a role that people stay in for Yeah, there are, there are people that I know in and multiple companies who have been in that particular role for over 10 years. Wow. Yeah. It's just what suits you, huh? Yeah. Like that and sort of repetition can could be comforting to yeah. some people yeah definitely there's no um um change there's no like when there is change it's very heavily um supported by processes so it's easy to follow yeah um but also it's a kind of job you can go and do and then come home and it doesn't stay with you yeah sure. as long as you don't let the angry customers get to you yeah um so you know that that's the only time you'll ever speak to that person because you lodge a claim and then it goes yeah off they're the out of your life, life. Yeah. yeah 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 it's got its good points yeah so then moving on from that, that's when you sort of went into a management position, is that right? Yeah, well, I did yeah. Um, a stint in our home claims um, team and then I was a senior, like an assistant manager, and then I got the management position from there. Yeah. Um, and the first management role I got was not customer um, not customer facing, it was just mm -hmm. um, like a back office kind of role. So was, I got to really focus on how a team runs and how to deal with different personalities and different levels of skill and ah. um, I'd taken over from another manager so I came into a team that was already established and I was filling some pretty big shoes as a 21 year old, um, first management role. Um, so I was there for about five months and then moved into another management role and then moved back into a senior role and then went to another management role and another team and then went to another manager role and another team and then another yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> All went from there. Yeah. <laughs> so starting out as a young manager, um, filling big shoes of your predecessor, um, do you remember at that time what you were sort of listening for as feedback that you were doing a good job or listening for as feedback for how you could do things differently or what people want from you as a manager? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a very good manager when I moved in. So yeah. I was hired by one manager who then left um, on my first day. <laughs> and, oh, <come> on. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then his replacement um, was actually a manager I previously worked with um, and she was really awesome and very professional and very easy to communicate with. Right. Um, and I got to build that relationship with her um, when I was in there. And, and the whole department was having an overhaul in, on processes and there was massive changes going through, which meant a lot of work. And I did, you know, quite a few, you know, 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. shifts to get the work done. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we had regular catch-ups, but not as regular as I was used to in my previous area because there was so much stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, and my role was predominantly getting the work in the door and getting it accurate, making sure that all the processes were there to get the information onto this system that we used. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to go to her with a like a plan as to how we were going to do that um, and present it to her. And, and I was um, fairly stressful because I was also managing a team of people who I hadn't connected with properly because I was new and I was really stressed out and I was worried. Yeah. I did that thing where you overthink it and you, um, it, you, you assume. <laughs> You assume certain things like, you know, they're not going to like me, that they're um, talking yeah. about me behind my back. Even though they're all lovely people, I just had this thing in my head. It was like, oh, they're having a conversation over there. I wonder if it's about me. Like, it was just a really bad. I ended up having panic attacks um, oh, at my wow. desk and, yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> and was there a way that you were able to alleviate that? Or would, did you just move on to another role? Yeah, <laughs> I moved on to another role. Right. 
Which was, was out of, I mean, the, the manager whose position I was filling came back to work. So it was, I see. yeah, if I I'd see. had longer to be there, I probably would have worked it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was really difficult. It was probably one of the hardest roles that I've ever done. Yeah. Um, and I feel bad because I gave back to her this mess of, like, I didn't, didn't do things properly. I didn't really connect with the guys. I did the, you know, the management stuff The um, you know, we... We have the meetings and we make sure the work is done and we, you know, make sure that sick leave is managed and we make sure that we had to get temporary staff in and so they were managed and sent off if they weren't doing well, that sort of stuff. I did that, those things well. Yeah. Um, but morale and, um, you know, reward and recognition and that sort of stuff, I didn't, didn't really manage very well, so I felt really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but it happens yeah. though and I think sometimes we all sort of have these different lenses that we hear things through and yeah. I think some of them we're conscious of and we choose for certain roles yeah. and some of them we're not conscious of and they all affect your perception of reality yes. <laughs> so Definitely. and sometimes you just you, because you you things are new and you're stressed out you don't realize what filters you're using to think oh you know people don't like me I'm not they don't think I'm doing a good job and you can't yeah. actually get yeah. the reality of what's happening through to you because yeah. you're blocking it with all of these yeah. filters that are just making you think yeah shit's there that isn't <laughs> and I recognize it now much better than I used to yeah um, but my susceptibility to it is still 100% determined on how stressed I am yeah. So if I'm totally. if I've got lots of uni on and I've been uh, working, you know, nine nine hour shifts every day, and then going home to study, and then, you know, I feel guilty because I haven't walked the dog enough that week, and like maybe I'm not sleeping properly, or there's a big claim on at work that's that's stressing me out or something like that. That's when I start to shut down in my ability to to see those things, mm. um, and that's when stuff starts to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden, I'm projecting my own stress onto whatever situations are around me yeah totally um, yeah yeah that's interesting so maybe your um and i don't mean you in particular yeah. us as humans yeah. <laughs> your, your ability to choose yeah uh, to choose what filters you see things through gets diminished yeah the more tired and stressed and whatever you get less brain capacity less emotional resilience yeah less options you've got with how you see things yeah, yeah. um so then in, in, maybe in some of these other management positions that you worked in, how do you feel like you, like going in and again has been pretty young, I mean, you're still pretty young now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, how did you feel about getting people to listen to you that were perhaps older than you or been there longer than you? Did you have, was it something you were conscious of or you, you learned over time? Yeah, um, there were different, um, it entirely depends on the personalities. Um, I found okay yeah, yeah sure. so it's not necessarily I work with people who, who had been managers for um, years and years and years and who were older than me and more experienced than me who were really great who listened well and who supported me and um, who validated the ideas that I had even if maybe they weren't the best ideas um, whereas sometimes younger people who I would normally um, interact with a lot more easily didn't listen and mm. couldn't work with and just the relationship broke down very quickly um, so it entirely depended on the relationship and the personality rather than the experience or the sex or the age or anything like that. Yeah, I found. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you, was there anything that you identified in different types of personalities as to why things were difficult and why they were easy? Um, 
I noticed a couple of trends in people wanting to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. So um, if they were new or if they felt like they weren't doing very well and they were very eager to push their ideas or, or get acknowledged for their work that they did, then a lot of the time they were less able to listen to other ideas mm. um, and listen to other suggestions and listen to their staff and that sort of stuff. Whereas if they were fairly, um, you know, didn't care too much about progressing their, their 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 career or didn't care about impressing the you know their manager at the time, then often they were able to sit back and let other people give input and, and really listen to the ideas of their staff and, and how their staff were doing. Mm. Um, so that's probably one of the main things that I picked up on, yeah. There's this really good saying that's used um, with a couple of companies that I work for a lot, which is, listening is not waiting to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I love. Yeah. But we're all guilty of it, right? Oh, but yeah, I think totally. like that's sort yeah. of a, a broader expression of that thing, what you were just talking about, is yeah. if you're constantly worried about what you're going to say or how you're going to prove yourself, yeah. then you don't have that space to listen to what else might be going on yeah. around you. Yeah, and it's a real skill. It's something that I've had to force myself to do. Like, I had to really think about the way that I'm perceived and what I'm thinking about when people are talking mm. um, and why I'm thinking about those things and what the triggers are for thinking those things while those conversations are happening. Because really, you should, you should shut off and really listen to what someone's saying and listen to um because i get a lot of at the moment the role that i'm in is a um, assistant manager so i do a lot of staff support in answering questions and things like that okay so i'll be in the middle of something where i'm really stressed that i'm typing and i'm you know thinking about the next thing i've got to do and then all of a sudden it's hey can i ask a question (laughs) i (laughs) would not cope with that environment (laughs) You should ask Dan if I'm in the middle of something. He's like, oh, hey, can I just I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> the guys that I work with are really great and they're really um, aware of if I'm, they're like, oh, I know you're in the middle of something. Can I just, I'm next. Like, can you, when you're free, come over and. Yeah, yeah. nice. They're really good. And I'm, I'm, I've worked really hard at making sure that I'm able to put whatever I'm doing down to come back to it. So the way that I work means that I'm, I'm never so, so in the middle of something that I can't pause it. Yeah, cool. Um, you know, I've got things that I like. I can save I, the way that I write my notes and stuff. I can save them very easily. Um, so yeah, it's just little things that I do to make oh, it a bit cool. easier to, to be able to switch off. Um, That's interesting. So you've changed your your own processes around how you work to be able to at any yeah. moment put it down and. Yeah listen to people yeah, that's why my that's desk cool. is I won cleanest desk once <laughs> <laughs> I love never win anything <laughs> so my desk is always fairly um, like it's got lots of stuff on it but everything is in its like I've got drawers and dividers and everything's size ordered and alphabetized if, if I can you know those sorts of things so I know that okay this is work I'm working on right now and this is work that I have to do today. And then I've got work up there that I've got to do at some point. You know, yeah. so there's sections of my desk where I know that, you know, my urgent work needs to be done. So your self-organisation sort of yeah. gives you the space to be able yeah. to invite other people's yeah. stuff in. Yeah. That's very clever. And sometimes I'll be, I'll turn around from my computer and I'll be like, yes, I'm listening. And then they'll get through about two sentences and I'll be like, wait, stop. I wasn't. I wasn't listening. I was you need to start again. Yeah. yeah. You need to completely, okay, I'm here now. Because <laughs> I was still thinking and processing what I'd just been doing and thinking that I could do both at the same time. I'm like, no, no, not doing this right. Start again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is great because so often, and again, we're all guilty of it, happens mm-hmm. all the time. You'll be talking to someone for 
a minute or two and then go, shit, I have no idea what they just said because yep. you were thinking about exactly what you were just yeah. doing or what you have to do coming yep. up. Yep. Um, so that's really great to be able to just stop and say, I'm really sorry, can we just start again? Yeah. I actually didn't catch any yep. of that yep. to be sort of honest and <laughs> yeah, upfront definitely. about it. And yeah, I mean, the, the team that I'm in now is fantastic. Like everyone in there is really understanding and we all work very, very stressful, busy um, jobs with very aggressive customers <laughs> like, yeah. every day so everyone's yeah. sort of in the same boat and very empathetic about that sort of stuff um, and I do a lot of um, high workload so I do a lot of the admin stuff in the office so yep. I'm constantly like okay gotta do this gotta do this gotta do this so um, I think they appreciate when I'm like okay I'm paying attention no I wasn't start again and they're like that's okay got it yep, yeah I'll just start again that's fine <laughs> I think that probably also sort of sets up an environment of honesty and yeah. humanity yeah, where it's, really... it's like it's okay yeah. not to be perfect all the time just yeah. let's just be humans about yeah, it and it's fine definitely that was actually one of the lessons that I took from a manager um very early in my career that stuck with me um where he said something along the lines of you know it's good to show vulnerability occasionally because then your staff understand the pressure that you're under and the stress that you experience as well. Because a lot of the time the divide between managers and, and frontline staff is massive right. and we don't really realise it. And I found that early on being vulnerable and not being perfect and and not being the, you know, I'm the overseer and I'm going to, you know, see what you guys are doing and, and give you instruction and being a, like a real person and showing vulnerability is what you know, builds relationships more quickly in that role. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to do it because when I came in, I was very much like, this is my professional face. This is my professional person. And I'm not going to talk about my home life. And I'm not going to talk about my relationships. And I'm not going to, you know, bring my, my home personality in because I need to be professional because of, you know, HR issues and, and harassment issues and that sort of stuff. It's very easy to misinterpret things. So I'm like, yeah. no, I'm just going to be 100% professional all the time. And yeah, it found that I found that staff had a lot more trouble getting to know me and getting to relax around me, which didn't help with me then trying to help them through their career. So yeah. I had to sort of soften it a fair bit. So it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And I feel like perceptions on it have started to change in mm. recent years. Um, and because of the work that I do, I was sort of really obsessed for a while with this work-life balance thing because I work a lot from home. I work a lot by myself as I, you know, I hired a studio for a while so I could have the separate thing. Yeah. Just paying, like just wasting money on basically. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I didn't, you know, I rarely have to have clients come to my to my space. I usually go to theirs because yeah. I'm doing, you know, doing event-based work. Yeah. But then I realised that it wasn't really this work-life balance thing it was more like an amalgamation of the yeah, two that you definitely. know that it's not you spend so much of your life at work whether you work for yourself or you're working full-time for an organization like yeah. that is your life yeah they're not separate because if they're separate then you're only living two days a week yeah <laughs> you know so you should the relationships that you have at work are important yeah. they are your friends they are people that yeah. you want to like have actual real life relationships with yeah and once you start treating other people as humans like <laughs> opening up your human self and yeah. asking about their human self I think everything just becomes so much easier yeah because you're like ah, oh, of course like we're all weirdos and yeah. we all <laughs> like yeah. we all have problems I don't think like you have to go and share your deepest darkest secrets yeah. yeah but just like I've noticed that my the tone in my voice 
has changed when I speak to, I used to speak to clients in like my speaking to a grown up. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and it's funny, like you just sort of after, and I think it's a little bit around getting older as well. You know, I was sort of in my early twenties when I started doing this sort of work, yeah. I've never worked in the corporate world at all. So I was like, Oh, do I wear a suit? Yeah. Hello ma'am. Yeah. Hello sir. I felt, I felt exactly the same when I, yeah. when I became manager, I was like, okay, I represent things and I have a role and I have a responsibility to a whole bunch of people. Like at one point I was managing 15 staff, like 15 whole people with whole careers and, and with different needs and different um, weaknesses and different strengths and different um, perspectives. It was really full on and I was like, okay, well I am a manager, I'm here to provide support and I'm here to support my business. Yeah. And it's not me, it's just I am this representation of this, this role that I fill in. Um, and it was too stressful. It was just constantly, I was constantly yeah. watching what I said. I was constantly, um, worrying that I wasn't giving the right support and that I wasn't being there for everybody all the time. And if I had just relaxed a bit and, um, you know, been able to share as well as, um, you know, put time into listening to who they are and listening to their personal life as well as their professional life, then it would have been so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a relief for everyone yeah you know like you know when you're you uh, i can imagine you talking to someone on the phone and they just share i don't know they swear or they yeah. say oh, just can you hang on a minute i've got to answer the door the mailman's here or something just something that shows some humanity like ah yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, don't do a person <laughs> yeah it's definitely. just a nice definitely yeah. yeah yeah um so i'm really interested so at the moment you're working in insurance fraud investigation yeah. is that right yeah so I'm really interested in those kind of calls yeah. when you're sort of having to be a detective and <laughs> work out whether things are real or not <laughs> while also yeah. practicing that empathy to make sure that people don't feel, you know, dis mistrusted or yeah. any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because I imagine that you've got to assume innocence rather than assume guilt, but you yeah. also want to do your due diligence to make sure that yeah. you're doing the right thing. How it's a really, really tough balance. Yeah. Really I can hard. Imagine. Yeah. And I see people come in and um, they go straight to, I need to prove that there's something wrong with this claim because that's my job. When in reality, that's not the job. The job is to look at the claim and see what the risks are as to whether what the chances are that there's some fraud in there or, or some other um you know behavior that that we don't cover or whatever it might be um and then just find evidence to prove or disprove that that's the case that's that's all that we do right yeah. mm -hmm. so it's very it's a lot more clinical than you know we have to find the bad guy you know yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what can get stuck in your head when you're on the phone talking to you know the bad guy yeah <laughs> exciting in a way like I often think this about um like about the people at the airport like yeah they must love it when they find something wrong because the whole day you're just going through bags I know your job is very different to this <laughs> but you know what I mean it's like you, you don't want to be you don't want them to to be the bad guy yeah but in a way you kind of be like oh but it's exciting for me if you yeah. are <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of the some of the stuff that we uncover um, is really interesting, like links that we didn't know that were there, or mm. uh, relationships that we didn't know that were there between uh, one party and another. Like those sorts of things are quite. When we come across, we're like, oh my god, I was right. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's sort of yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's it's really. I mean, the 
the problem solving that we have to do is is one of the most interesting things in in my job like we gather we we do a phone interview which is this um you know we plan for it we make sure that we remain um flexible to be able to like listen and be able to ask the right questions and then we say right you've told us this is what's happened these are the points that i can validate with documentation or photos or whatever it might be so please send me through this stuff to validate what you've told me is true um, and then they will either not send it through because that doesn't exist, <laughs> which is, uh -huh. you know, yeah. Yeah. or they'll fabricate documents or they'll call back oh, and change really? their story um, or they'll send it through and it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, sometimes we get these massive water documents and we have to filter through it and say, okay, you've, you told us at 10 o'clock you did this. This is what this document proves that. If you said at two o'clock you did this, this document actually said you did that at six. Why did you tell us you did it at two? You know, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's like a giant puzzle you have to put together. And then you've got this customer who's part of the puzzle, who's a human being, who's yeah. either being investigated when they, when they're, you know, nothing's gone awry, um, which, you know, that's, yeah. As an insurance customer, you sort of have to expect that occasionally. When you lodge a claim, insurance companies try to make it as easy as possible to, to get the claim processed because we do thousands of them a day. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you have to go the extra mile to try to prove what you're claiming for is, is your, you know, that you're entitled to it. Um, so those customers get caught up in this investigation sometimes and it can be incredibly stressful to think, number one, that your claim may not be paid and you don't know why. Um, and number two, to have your privacy invaded, to have, yeah. you know, not, I mean, not technically, but for us to have a stranger say, what did you do this morning? Yeah. Oh, well. What's what, it to you? Yeah, yeah. what business is it of yours? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So to try to guide them through that process and make them feel secure that you're going to respect their information and that you're going to only use it for validation purposes is really hard. Mm. Um, on the flip side, you get customers who have done the wrong thing and they get really angry <laughs> yeah. really quickly. Um, Is that right? Yeah, or condescending or rude, like just instantly because they know that they're, that we're onto them. So they initially, they start to put up barriers to try to stop you figuring out what's happened. Um, so oh, trying to navigate that and get the information that you need to, to prove what's happened um, is even harder. Because I might have thought um, that anger, and I suppose it, it would depend on the person that yeah. you might equally be getting angry if someone's like, why are you investigating if yeah, you've done definitely. something wrong? Yeah. And if you have done something wrong, that maybe you might be a bit more like, oh, Louise, you're so lovely. And yeah. I'm trying to be super, super nice to make them. It can go different ways. Yeah, um, sure. depending on what they've done, like what they're trying to do. Um, like, cause there's different ways to commit fraud, which I won't go through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so depending on the, the path that they're going, um, if it's a bigger, like linked um, network of, of issues, it'll be more aggression or condescension or, um, you know, being really vague or whatever it might be. Mm. Whereas if it's an innocent, like opportunistic type of um, fraud, it'll be, oh yeah, yeah, like I'll definitely help you out with that. I'm really, really, really interested in giving you the information that you want, I promise. And then we we'll never hear back from them or, yeah. But, and anger can either be, you're inconveniencing me because I've lost my car and I need a car and I haven't done anything wrong or shit <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'm just going to try to scare them into not pursuing this investigation you know yeah. so yeah and is that something that you're taught when you're being trained for this role or is that just something that you've picked up over time yeah i mean it comes a lot from customer service but it also yeah yeah i mean dealing with aggressive 
angry, um, disappointed customers is part of the customer service journey that you go on when you start these roles. Okay, yeah. Sure. Um, the investigation side of it is more um, understanding what questions to ask, how to ask them, um, tones of voice to use, try to you know get the information that you need. Um, and then when you're putting evidence to them to say, well, you said this, but we found this out, how do you explain that? Remain calm during those situations because it's mm. really hard. It's yeah, really, I can imagine. Like those people have been doing it for years and years and years and it's sort of not a big issue for them to have that conversation. Whereas for me, I haven't, I mean, I've been in the department for um, a few years now but only been on the phone with customers for 18 months or so. Okay. Yeah. Um, and not all the time. Um, and yeah, it's still very stressful for me to say, oh, I think you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> and how, really do you, how do you do that? Is, is that? is that what you say? How do you phrase those sort of things? <laughs> um, look, a lot of the time it's trying to show them that you know that they're lying. Yeah. And to try to encourage them to tell the truth. I see. Yeah, which doesn't happen very often because a lot of the time people get really wrapped up in their lies and they think that telling the truth is going to just make it worse. When in reality, uh -huh. it just makes it easier because we already yeah. know the truth. Whereas if you're telling the truth, we don't have to have this argument, you know? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time it's, you've said this, but this has happened. We have evidence that this has happened. Why did you tell us that? And, oh, I don't know, that's wrong. That document that can't be forged is wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but sometimes it's flat out like, I know that that's not true. Why are you lying? Do you think that people ever um, get so wrapped up in their lives that they forget what's, what's reality? Absolutely. And, you know, you don't see it as often with customers. You can, you can always hear it in their voice when they know that you've caught them and they, you know, their tone of voice change and they get a little bit more mousy or they get a bit more aggressive or you, you can hear the change. Mm. Um, I actually find it more interesting with people outside of customers, like either people that I work with or people in my personal life who are um, habitual liars um, or narcissists mm. or whatever it might be who get so wrapped up in their lie that they forget the truth, be yeah. it from years and years ago or be it from last week or be it from you know it's really interesting to watch it yeah <laughs> to see that you know they've told the lie so many times that it becomes reality for them yeah. yeah I've known a couple of people like that in my personal life and it's it's kind of amazing to watch in a way because you just think how can you it's like yeah me and for listeners, I'm holding two pens in my hand right now. It's like me looking Louise in the eye and saying, I'm not holding two yeah. pens. I'm really yeah. believing it. You yeah, know? you can see that, that they it's their truth. Yeah. You can see that it's real for them. Um, you know, I've, I've sat in a conversation with someone who says, you know, I never lie. When like two weeks ago, yeah. they were caught in a lie yeah. and had to deal with it because it was brought to them. It's just, yeah, silly. And, and I think that um, more career... Um, fraudsters who who target insurance companies as their their income essentially um, are more like that. Um, whereas yeah. your everyday sort of fraud is less less um, planned and less meticulous. Yeah, sure. Yeah. More that that opportunistic yeah. side of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. It's so interesting. It must be yeah. a, a fascinating job. Yeah, I love it. I yeah. really do. It's really um, the the analyst, the the analytical side of it, like reviewing the information, trying to figure out what's really happened, is probably the best part. Um, and the hardest part is trying to manage a customer through the process. It's really yeah, difficult because we you know we have external investigators and. 
forensic investigators and a bunch of different people that we work with that we need to send information to to get information back and that takes time. And then you're also managing this customer who's potentially done nothing wrong mm. through this process that takes forever. Mm. You know? It's hard to maintain a really good relationship when you're really making it um, difficult for them to process their claim. And do you stick with that same customer the whole way through? Yeah. Will they be yours? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you have that opportunity to yeah. build a relationship. Definitely. And, yeah. 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 And I've found, I've had a few customers that I've worked with that um, have been innocent, who, who what we suspected may have happened hadn't happened. It was just a freak accident, whatever it might be. Um, and uh, because I was humanistic with them and because I made it um, made it clear that I was really interested in, in making, although the process is going to take a while, I'm going to make it as easy for you as possible and as, and as smooth as possible for you, even though I may, may not be able to speed it up. And by the end of it, they were like, thank you for your, you know, as much as I hated this. Yeah, as much you. as I hate you, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I really hate what you put me through, but you were okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that can make such a big difference. Like, yeah. um, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> Not very often at all, but occasionally it does. You're like, that was worth it. Totally worth those extra phone calls and totally worth the extra yeah. conversation. And yeah. And I think so often how you respond to a situation, like I know when I was a a waitress a million years ago, some of the biggest tips that I ever got was when I fucked something up, but the way that I responded to it um, made such a big impression that instead of them leaving upset, I ended up getting a big tip. And something that, you know, their experience in general should have been lessened because I, you know, dropped their steak or yeah. forgot their wine or, you know, whatever yeah. it might have been. Yeah. But how you respond to those situations um, yeah. makes the difference, I think. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I actually had a, um, speaking of listening, I had to really think outside the box in, I had a customer call in when I was in the lodgements um, area who I pick up the call and there was nothing on the other end of the line. Um, but I could hear, like, beeping. I was like, oh, okay. Um, all right. If you can hear me, beep once. And they beep once. And I was like, ah, okay, great. Um, so the phone that you've called me on has come up with the number on my phone. If I call you back on that number, will I get through to you? Once for yes, twice for no. And it was a one. And I'm like, okay, I'll call you back. And I what? wrote down the number and then I called them. They were like, how did you think of that? And I was like, no, 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 I just did. I was able to hear that there was some sort of feedback that you could give me. And you might have known what that what that was, be it a button that you were pressing or something that was happening in the background or something like that, and was able to say, "All right, I've got this piece of information that I can contact you on. Um, is that correct or not?" And then got onto her and got her claim. Oh lodged. wow! Yeah. That gives you listening super <laughs> right? I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the probably the most interesting, coolest yeah. little things that happened, you know, throughout. Yeah, (laughs) and that is really being tuned in, isn't it? Like that's really using those skills of thinking beyond, like, oh, there's no one there, and hanging up. Yeah, actually listening for yeah yeah, that non-verbal stuff, environmental stuff. What else could be going on in this situation? Yeah, and it was in the middle of a storm that had happened in New South Wales or something, and it was like an hour-long wait times, and this woman had been on hold for an hour. And then all of a sudden I couldn't hear her. And I was like, God, I can't let her go because she's waited forever to speak to someone. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was able to, to get her, thankfully. Yeah, good on <laughs> you. It's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll finish up fairly soon, but I wanted to, you've got so many interesting bits to your life and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to pass 
many of them up. So in addition to um, your current career, you've also done some training to be a personal trainer yeah. and have competed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about either you can talk about them separately or together and maybe the similarities and differences. Let's start with personal training because that's what you sort of yep. trained in, isn't it? Like yeah. how you, I imagine some of that nonverbal stuff will be relevant when yeah. you're listening to people you're training, but why don't yep. you tell me a little bit about your, your sort of journey in that and, and yeah. how the listening is similar and different. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, my my exercise thing started with jiu-jitsu. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, and then to complement my jiu-jitsu, I did a personal training course. So I wanted to gotcha. learn about movements and um, different exercise that could strengthen different movements and strengthen posture and all that sort of stuff. Um, I didn't end up going into the industry, but did quite a bit of like informal training with friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty short, I think it was a 12 week course, okay. um, like a night, night and weekend course outside of my normal work hours. And then also trying to do jujitsu two or three times a week at the time. Yeah. Um, crazy. yeah, yeah. Too crazy. <laughs> yeah. Really. Um, so yeah, you know, sitting in a little classroom with people from all different walks of life, um, and who were, you know, on different in different sections of their fitness journey their yeah. exercise journey yeah <laughs> um and you know sitting in the classroom which was very you know i'm going to read this stuff to you and you need to remember it so that you can pass the test that i'm going to give you in a week or so so it was very um one way sort of teaching and quite hard to mm. um get the information in um so i had to do a lot of i found a few girls who were doing the course with them and, and you know was able to talk to them about because that's how i learned typically i have to talk about stuff and listen yeah. and have interaction um so i was able to do that with those few girls in the class and it taught me about anatomy and you know um, complex movements and um, how muscles work and different um, nutrition to fuel different muscle um you know regeneration speeds and stuff like that so it was really um, beneficial in my exercise portion of my life yeah um and it also helped me understand um when you're training with someone when they're getting to their um you know the end of their ability to work <laughs> you know if they're yeah. getting so tired that you know you see their body start to you know lose form slightly or you see their facial expression change or yeah um, you see the concentration go then you know there's time for a break or time for you know quick drink of water or whatever it might be to try to you know get them back to yeah. to working at a capacity um and also being able to debrief and say how are you feeling you know are you sore in any particular areas how are you feeling when you try to push yourself through that final movement is it is it a positive thought that you're giving yourself or is it a negative thought that you're giving yourself and, and how are you feeling that that affects the movement that you're doing um so mm. that was interesting to do and what about sort of like the flip side of knowing when someone's done um, what if they're saying to you, I can't, I can't, I'm done, but you're looking for other cues that are saying, no, yeah. you can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause that, cause obviously you don't want to push someone to a point where they're going to injure themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But do you, was that something that was covered as well or that you learnt in your time of doing it or? Yeah. Um, not, not as heavily in the course, um, yeah. from what I remember, but it, it is, um, you really need to have a relationship there to be able to push to that level yeah sure. um or to have and it depends on the client obviously like if you've got a, a client who's been in fitness forever or who's an athlete or whatever it might be then they know how far they can push themselves yeah 
Whereas if it's someone who's just exercising for the first time and they doubt their body's ability to do something when you know that it can because they've already done it a few times, you know that they can do it that one last time. Yeah. Um, and being able to show them that they can do it is usually the thing that, that breaks it through for them. Um, yeah. And then remi- reminding them of that thing that they did that they didn't think they could do, you know, yeah. sending their mind back to that positivity. Um, and, you know, little things like, you know, when they're in the middle of a squat and they don't think they can get back up, just like lifting the bar slightly and, yeah, you yeah. know, letting them know that you're doing it, obviously, but, you know, they can still move through the, through the movement and um, doing positive um, mind reset at the start of a session, like yep. making them repeat positive affirmations like i am great i can do this if i fail it's only momentary and you know yeah, that sort of things. Cool. yeah nice and does that tend to make a difference yeah i think it does yeah. um well it's the feedback that i don't know it works for me like being able to stop the negative self-talk and be able to reset it and say you know even if i don't do this 100 percent this time i know i can next time or yeah. whatever it might be that that gets you through that last movement yeah yeah and i guess part of it would be sort of teaching or encouraging people on how to listen to their own bodies instead of their brain saying I don't want to I don't want to yeah yeah <laughs> definitely. Mind, saying, I can do it the yeah. mind is usually what holds us back holds us back in those sorts of things obviously yeah. muscle fatigue is is of course separate yeah. but um you know and and I've experienced that heaps especially with jiu-jitsu um you know the more complex the moves get the more I doubted myself to be able to do them um like a cartwheel. Still can't do cartwheels. I've just never done cannot, a cartwheel in my life. Can't, can't do it. It's yeah. not, you know, I, at the peak of my jiu-jitsu, I was um, 80 kilos, which is the lightest that I've, that I've ever been. And I had won a gold medal recently at, at a local competition. And um, I was, you know, heading towards my blue belts at the time. And it was, um, you know, really positive space for me to be. But I still could not just commit to a cartwheel. Because yeah. I was like, nope. My arms were, even though I was doing, you know, 50 push-ups in a row yeah. and I was, you know, doing um, 95 kilo deadlifts, you know, that I could, just could not get those legs over my head. Couldn't yeah. do it. <laughs> I totally sympathize yeah. because I, same with me with handstands, cartwheels, like not even as a kid did I ever do them. Mm. But at the moment, you know, it's something I do a lot in yoga and in CrossFit as well, which mm. I do. Um, I know I have the strength. There is yeah. nothing wrong with the with my strength at all. It's that I listen to yeah. that voice in my mind that tells you this is scary. Don't yeah. do it. You're going to land on your face. Don't do it. Yeah. Why would you do this? Yeah. yeah. You're going to break your neck. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, it's one of my goals for this year. Actually, it's been one of my goals for the last three years in a row. But I feel like you know now that I've said it on a podcast, I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think um, self talk is the main form of communication you experience every day yeah like yeah. the thoughts that go through so your head true. and the things that you listen to that your brain is telling you um it's been one of the things that i've struggled with my entire life through depression and all the different challenges that i've been through and when i was seeing a psychologist not too long ago and i was telling her what i was thinking at certain points she was like you're really hard on yourself did you know that and i was like no nah, i'm just you know i have high expectations she's like yeah but unrealistically high expectations you can't be expected to do everything all the time and do everything right and be there for everyone and um you know eat perfectly all the time and when I didn't eat perfectly I'd failed and it was you know the worst thing and if I didn't go to that gym session I would just you know be really down on myself for ages and I really had to work to get to a place where if I don't do something that I know I should do that's okay 
Tomorrow's another day. It doesn't yeah. matter. You're being kind to yourself by not, you know, by not forcing yourself out of your um, comfort zone that you clearly need to be in right now. Um, and, you know, recognizing that those things are okay. You don't need to constantly be pushing yourself forward or pushing, yeah. um, you know, for things that you don't have yet. You can just chill out if you need yeah. to. Yeah. It is amazing though, isn't it? The sort of shit that we say to ourselves. And you think if you said this to anyone else in the yeah. world, like you would never apply this to anyone no. else. Why do you think it's okay yeah. to apply it to yourself? Yeah. But it's just what we do. We think that we're not as deserving or I don't know we're just yeah. so hard on ourselves it's, and, and I don't know what it is you know I grew up with a lot of pressure to do well in school and okay. that that was a lot of the way that I validated myself by being a good mm. student um, and then with jiu-jitsu it was you know I, I learn quickly that's great I need to keep learning quickly and if I don't learn quickly then I'm failing um, you know different little things that I'm that I measured myself on that if I didn't meet all of a sudden it was this massive issue for me which you know, wasn't reasonable, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like now with my uni, if I get my lowest grade has been a credit, and when I got the credit, I started to be started to go into oh, you're failing. Why are you even doing this course? Like you're not doing it well enough. And I was like, it's a credit. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's you know, cool. You, you don't have fine. to get distinctions every single time. Like it's okay. <laughs> um. Oh, I know we're terrible to ourselves. Mm. Um. Oh, in, in terms of the course that you're doing at the moment, you're studying primary education? Yeah. yeah. And you're doing it online? Yeah. How, I know for me personally, for my own learning style, I would fail absolutely within the first two weeks. Yeah. I just would stop looking at it. <laughs> it it's would... really, really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm lucky that I have had the life that I've had and I've learned how to write um, correctly and I've found like that was a passion when I was younger I used to write short stories and stuff like that um, and that I've learned to communicate effectively which means that I can I can project my ideas effectively um, because without those two things I wouldn't be able to do it because my mm. learning style is you talk to me and I talk back and yeah. that's how I pick up information yeah. whereas there's none of that in this we get um, we, there's two or three assessments per unit and for each assessment there's one one hour um, like it's called a collaborate mm -hmm. um, but there can be 300 people in the one collaborate oh, wow. <laughs> so you know that's all we get and the, the other ways of communicating is just by emailing your, um, your lecturer at the time um, or on a forum which forums are the worst for me I can't like following oh, really? a conversation on a forum is really oh, I see. Yeah. difficult yeah. when you're trying to pick up information about the topic that you're learning it is yeah and it's very true. broken and there's uh, you know a hundred different voices speaking in different ways with different perspectives and you have to interpret it what they've said and interpret it correctly into your way of seeing things you know yeah. so it's really hard <laughs> yeah you can miss a lot of that context yeah. can't you like yeah, you totally. can't go all the way back to yeah and yeah. you don't know what they're thinking when they write it sometimes it doesn't make sense but sometimes it can be really helpful if you can work it out yeah so you have to write and say what did you mean by this like how did you yeah it's very yeah. time consuming yeah yeah i'm very very lucky that i'm able to look at something and say okay that means this i'm going to write this and hope that it works yeah and there's been so many assessments where i'm like okay i do because i find it really hard to like you get your reading material and you have to read the content and you got to read the books then you got to interact on the on the um forum and it's hard for me to sit there after sitting at work all day to sit on the computer at home and read and write and prepare for assessments. It's really like I, I don't do it 
as often as I should at all. Mm. And then I get to assessment time and I'm like, oh, I didn't really read the content like I should have. I hope I pass. And then I get a distinction. And every time I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm not encouraging me to study yeah. better. <laughs> this is not giving me the correct feedback. Mm. To but so how, um, do they offer any sort of alternative modes of getting the information into your brain? Is it just, is it wrapped through video or it's all written? Sometimes they link videos into the materials with yeah. like a little YouTube clip, but they're very short usually, like five minutes maximum. Yeah. Um, I often walk around my house talking to myself yeah. to get the information in. Because oh, really? otherwise it doesn't, yeah, because I know that that's how I learn. I know that conversation is the best way that I like, I'm the annoying person when I was doing my PT course, I was like, can I ask a question? <laughs> like, yeah. so what you're saying is this, so what you're saying is this. Yeah. So like trying and explaining it to other people in the class, you haven't got it yet because then it cements in my mind. Totally. Um, yeah, so yeah. So I would like write, I would just, um, brain dump whatever I thought I'd picked up and then I would walk around the house and recite it what I thought I remembered to myself and that way it's in there and I do it with with essays as well I'll get stuck and then I'll be like okay stand up walk around and talk about what ideas you want to get down yeah uh, wow. and then I can sit down again and, and write it all out yeah wow it's a good trick I like it that again yeah it's really <laughs> really really good yeah um, and it's even better if you can have someone there who asks a question every now and again like what do you mean that doesn't make sense what yeah what, what do you mean by that you know even yeah. if they're not particularly interested in the topic that you're taught that you're talking about talking to yourself about um if they can pick up on little gaps in your information then you can go back to oh okay i need to fill that gap yeah 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 um oh yeah i think i would fail miserably miserably at an online course particularly if you didn't have any other like no visual feedback or verbal feedback yeah. and you couldn't have any sort of interactions or not you know yeah often enough but yeah, we i guess it works for some people yeah well yeah <laughs> well it, it works enough i wonder if yeah. that's something that will change in coming years because I know a lot of education is moving online right now which is yeah. awesome and you've got yep. these sort of more a more modular approach to how you can do degrees or how you can just yeah. get educated on something you're interested in yeah. in general because yeah. it's not necessarily I think the importance of degrees in some area will diminish over yeah. time it's more about yeah. what you know rather than yeah whether you have a degree or not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but it'll be interesting to see how people approach online learning moving forward to yeah. sort of counteract some of that stuff because that sounds hard like much harder work than it needs to be yeah there's definitely I think that if there was a, an option to because you get a page of overarching like an overview of the week's content that you need to understand and then within that mm -hmm. other links to the reading material okay um which is then you link off to a book that's like 40 years old and you have to read the book and, yeah um so that overview if that could be done verbally like someone records themselves reading it or records themselves thinking about it or whatever it might be that would then match my learning style I could listen to that and you know mm. absorb it a lot more easily which wouldn't be hard to do really nah. that's not going in spending nah. hundreds of thousands of dollars making snazzy videos nah. that's like someone getting in front of their computer yeah. for an hour <laughs> maybe two yeah. and just recording it yeah because they do I, I can see that they're trying to um, suit the different learning styles because there's okay. um, you know the content that's written on the page and then within that are videos on sections of the content okay so oh, you can good. watch a video that that is about an idea that they're trying to get across yeah and then sometimes there's like a little 
word association game. So for the kinesthetic learners, you can, okay. you can you know, drag an answer to a question and, you know, that's the link that I'm... So you can see that okay. they're oh, trying to, inter, to yep. you know, incorporate everything, um, but it's still 90% reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that it's hard from their perspective as oh, well. It's totally. not like, you know, you've got to work out the best way to do these things and where to invest your time yeah. and money and getting it done. So, you know, I know it's not as easy as going, we're going to do this better and doing it better. Yeah. But I'm very interested to see what happens in coming years. Yeah. And mm. it's ironic in a way that that's the way that it's taught because you're learning how to make learning engaging. Yeah. So we're yeah. learning how to engage students <laughs> yeah. and how yeah. to make it and make the content interesting and how to, um, encapsulate every sort of learner and mm. how to build a classroom that's interactive and um, you know not be a director that stands in front of the of the classroom and tells them what to learn it's here here's the topic let's talk about it or let's go do activities or let's yeah. you know present something or whatever it might be rather than here's the content let me give it to you yeah um so yeah it's and yeah interesting yeah should be <laughs> practicing what they're pretty sure yeah. online they're obviously incredibly difficult yeah um you know and totally. i could be doing more in you know finding other people who are doing my course locally and you know sitting with them and talking to them about the content that sort of stuff because I know yeah. that that's what I need yeah um but finding and every unit the, the people who are in the unit change like people select different units to do so the same person you might work with on this one may not be there for the next one so right it's quite difficult to find those sorts of things but yeah yeah and is that uh like nationwide the participants yeah. in that yeah yeah okay yeah. so that makes it a little bit more tricky yeah. as well definitely yeah 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 well, I reckon we might finish up in a minute, but before we do, your number one listening tip or listening learning throughout all of the different amazing stuff that you've done in your career and with your PT and with your primary education stuff and your jiu-jitsu, what's sort of like your number one either yeah, learning or tip around listening that you'd like to share with people? Um, probably um, learn to quiet your mind as much as you can it's really hard virtually impossible in a lot of situations but um if you can do it when you're trying to um get cues and get um information from someone that's really the most effective way to do it to really remove the thoughts that are already there and really focus on what they're saying and how they're saying it um to get what you need from it it applies with my competition jiu-jitsu so being stuck underneath someone in the middle of a fight and having my coach you know, 10 meters away yelling instruction at me. There's no way that I could have processed that information if I was concentrating on what I was doing in the moment. So, you know, finding a safe position where I wasn't going to lose any points, where I wasn't going to be submitted. Yeah. Um, and being able to listen to what he was saying and interpret it into what I needed to do physically um, could only happen if my mind was focused and, and clear. Yeah. Um, similarly with listening to customers, if they're on the phone um, and they're, they're angry or they're upset about a situation, you really have to listen to why. And the only way to do that is if you're not thinking about the next thing you have to do or not mm -hmm. listening to the conversation that's happening behind you, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, same as your personal life, you know, if you've got a friend who's going through a bad situation or, um, you know, someone who's trying to get advice or whatever it might be and you're listening to what their situation is, you can't then be thinking about the next thing you're going to be saying or, um, you know, what, what you're going to cook for dinner that night and you have to have all those thoughts gone, otherwise it's mm. not as effective. Do you have any tips on how to do that? 
<laughs> the real hard question. Practice. Practice. Yeah, Mind- mindfulness. Um, mindfulness activities. Yeah. Um, meditation. Yeah. Um, being really aware of the thoughts that you're having. So because I've gone through this journey of trying to get rid of my negative self-talk or at least trying to recognize it and shut it down when it happens, um, I've become more aware of what my brain is doing and when it's, when it's doing it. Um, so just practice. Yeah, uh, you know, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking that? Where is my where is my mind space right now? Why am I there? And learning to um, recognize it. it's almost like like if you're gonna do a, um, a visualization of it, it's your you've got the bad thoughts or the distracting thoughts that are in there, and you sort of have to encapsulate them a little bit and just put them to the side for the moment. Yeah, and you can go back and and deal with them later on if you need to, or just shut throw them away. Them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. And I, I mean, I totally agree. And I think a lot of, a lot of that stuff is just being aware of it in the first place. Yeah. Like once you can sort of look at something in the eye, it can be so much easier yeah. to, to deal with it or just sort of having that thought in your head of, I need to be present. Yeah. Even that alone, you know, and practicing thinking that every time you're going into a yeah. conversation or any sort of listening situation with someone, I find yeah. to make a big difference. Yeah. There was a, uh, there's a book, um, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, Eckhart Tolle, I think his name is. Uh-huh. Um, he's written a book. I haven't read the whole book because I find it really hard to read um, non-fiction books. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about the fact that there is nothing at all except for this moment right now. Yeah. Nothing else exists. It's, it's all, like literally all of it is in your mind. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you think is going to happen in the future hasn't happened, so there's no point thinking about it or worrying about it. Whatever's happened in the past is gone. It's it doesn't exist anymore. All that is 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 you right at this moment. So if you can remind yourself of that, yeah, in whatever moment that you're in, and say whatever I think is going to happen is irrelevant because it hasn't happened yet. That way I can focus on what's happening right now, um, and you know do my best in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of a quote from a wonderful um, thinker, Kung Fu Panda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is it? He says, uh, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's yep. why we call it the present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful words from a great thinker. <laughs> note i will say thank you so so much for coming and sharing your insights with us very welcome and um yeah thanks see you no worries <laughs> bye thanks louise and thank you guys for listening to the first episode of the listen here podcast um, you can subscribe on iTunes um, and if you'd like to rate us or leave a comment, that would be great. Um, you can also visit us at listenherepodcast.com where you'll be able to access all the episodes and also find some other cool listening resources and stuff there too. Um, please send me an email if you'd like to get in touch. I'm on jessamy at jessamyg.com.au. That's J-E-S-S-A-M-Y at J-E-S-S-A-M-Y g-e-e.com.au I'd love any feedback that you have any suggestions recommendations for types of people to talk to I'd love to hear from you Uh, next week on the podcast we're going to be talking to Jacinta McMahon Uh, she's a user experience designer and has some really awesome uh, things to share with us around how they 
listen and understand people's motivations, um, how they sort of analyze that data and what they do with it moving forward, um, which is a fascinating talk that I'm looking forward to sharing with you next time. Until then, take care.